Well, good morning, everyone. It's a delight to be with you. A lot of people are visiting, and you came, and your mom's so thrilled to have you sitting with her. Do you know, after Easter morning, the number one most attended day for Sunday morning church is Mother's Day. Did you know that? After Easter, it's number two on the list. More people go to church on Mother's Day than any other Sunday of the year, with the exception of Easter. So we're glad that you're here today. If you've got your Bibles, we're journeying through the book of Jonah, and so open up with me to the book of Jonah. Bring out, take out your note outline. You'll find one tucked inside your bulletin this morning for you to jot down a few notes and complete the, uh, the blanks, help you remember, retention. Heard a story this last week of a guy who had a pet parrot and the parrot, he found the parrot at the bottom of the birdcage. Parrot was not moving. The parrot was lifeless. He thought, man, this is not good. So he takes the parrot to the veterinarian. And he says to the, to the vet, my pet parrot is just not doing well. It's, something's wrong with it. So the vet takes out his stethoscope and put it on the parrot and said, you know what, I got bad news for you. Your parrot's dead dead. And he said, there's just no way. He goes, I just can't accept that. Is there anything, I mean, can you do any, anything else to check out and make sure? Yeah. So the, doc, the veterinarian walks out of his office and comes back in with a Labrador retriever. <laughs> the Labrador retriever sniffs the parrot, looks up at the vet and kind of goes, and walks out. Vet leaves and comes back in with a Siamese cat. Cat jumps up on the little table there, sniffs the parrot, says meow, and just kind of shakes his head and walks out. The the pet owner goes, I guess he's dead. He goes, yeah, I told you he was. He goes, that'll be $1,200. Twelve hundred dollars just to tell me that my parrot is dead? Yeah, well, he said, yeah, but it it would have only been a seventy-dollar office call, but you insisted on a lab report and a CAT scan. (laughs) It's really bad. How's he going to tie that into Jonah? I got a hunch you're going to tell that at Mother's Day today, aren't you? See, there are hidden costs. There are hidden costs that we just don't see sometimes. Jonah is an example of somebody who gets trapped with his hidden costs of disobedience. I want you to follow along. I'm going to read from Jonah chapter 1. And remember, uh, Jonah's already disobeyed the Lord. As a matter of fact, let's take a peek here. God calls him to, to, to go to Nineveh. And Dawn, if we could bring up the next slide, please. There it is. Uh, Nineveh is up here. Remember, that's in modern-day uh, Iraq. Uh, Nineveh is ruins today, but it, you know it by a different name. It's the city of Mosul, where we've been doing all the banging around and... and and all kinds of military action. This is Mosul. This is Joppa, which is right next to, this is Tel Aviv, which is right next to Jerusalem. Jerusalem's at altitude. 
which would be the tail end of this green arrow, would be Jerusalem, Joppa's on the coast. So Noah. So Jonah says, nope, I'm not going east, I'm heading west. Complete opposite direction. Remember, he is moving himself from the presence of the Lord. We talked about that last week. That when you don't want anything to do with God, you will avoid anything that has to do with God. And to Jonah, the, the, the nation of Israel represented the presence of God. So I, I got to remove myself from that. So watch what happens. He, he gets on this ship at Joppa, takes off for, uh, for um, Tarshish. Then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea, and such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. All the sailors were afraid, and each cried out to his own God, and they threw the cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. But Jonah had gone below. Remember we talked about this, this downward spiral. He had gone down below deck where he lay down and fell into a deep sleep. The captain went to him and said, How can you sleep? Get up and call on your God. Maybe he will take notice of us and we will not perish. And the sailors said to each other, Come, let us cast lots to find out who is responsible for this calamity. So they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. So they asked him, watch this, tell us, there's a series of questions. Who is responsible for making all this trouble for us? What do you do? Where do you come from? What is your country? From what people are you? They're just quizzing him, see. And he answered, watch his answer. I'm a Hebrew. I worship the Lord, wink, wink, the God of heaven who made the sea and the land. This terrified them, and they said, they asked him, what have you done? They knew he was running away from the Lord because he'd already told them so. We talked about that's kind of crazy. Tells total strangers, guess what? I'm running from God. The sea was getting rougher and rougher, so they asked him, notice, there's the next question. What should we do to you to make the sea calm down for us? Pick me up and throw me into the sea, he replied, and it will become calm. How did he know that? I know that it's my fault that this great storm has come upon you. Instead, the men did their best to row back to land. Isn't that typical human nature? But they could not, for the sea grew even wilder than before. Then they cried to whom? Their gods? No. They cried out to the Lord. Watch this. O Lord, please do not let us die for taking this man's life. Do not hold us accountable for killing an innocent man. For you, O Lord, have done as you pleased. Then they took Jonah, one, two, three, kersplash, threw him overboard, The raging sea grew calm. Watch this. At this, the men greatly feared the Lord, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows to him. Congratulations, Jonah. You were successful in the first step of your missionary outreach. These guys come to the Lord in spite of this knucklehead. I mean, it's just some. By the way, who's acting more like a a follower of Jehovah in this story? Yeah, the sailors. And this noble ship captain, and there's Jonah being this clobberhead walking through this thing. But I tell you what, the reason, one of the reasons that this is, is in the book, uh, uh, the book of Jonah is in the Bible, 
is that he is the quintessential backslider. Jonah is a picture of a person who goes, I'm not doing that. I, I, I'm not going to walk with God. I'm not going to do this. And by the way, that describes all of us. Because at some point, whether you're a Christ follower now or not, or used to be or whatever, all of us tend to be a Jonah at different times. And so we've got this snapshot of what it looks like, what, what happens. As a matter of fact, let's take a look at the next screen. I'm going to give you this morning some characteristics, if we could advance this. There we go. Characteristics of a backslidden believer. Because Jonah's a believer, but this would be characteristics of a person not walking with the Lord or even a person who doesn't know the Lord. That's what I'd like to do, and I'd like to consider six diary entries of this man. If he were writing his diary, what would it look like? And this would be entry number one in his diary. Dear diary, I am running from God and I know it. Now it says that he'd already told the ship captain and these sailors, I'm running away from the Lord. Of all things, isn't it interesting? It was weighing heavily on his mind. It was heavily on his heart for him to verbalize this. Let me tell you, If a person is not walking with the Lord, they are aware of that. They would not say, you know what, I just had no idea. No, 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 no. If you knew the Lord, if you walk with the Lord, if you're raised in Sundays, when when you are not walking with Christ, it is abundantly clear to you. And what happens is that the Holy Spirit will continue to speak to you. Let me reference the story of the prodigal son. He, he always knew, I'm walking away from my dad. I'm walking away from what, what, what my dad taught me. Even though I got money in my pocket. I'm, you know, and, and what would happen is that the prodigal son would go, and I remember he'd waste it on wild women. He'd waste it on crazy living. He'd be drinking. He'd be taking drugs. He'd be doing all kinds of goofy stuff. And until finally he kept going down and down and down and down, worse and worse and worse and worse. See? And then he starts watching pigs. Remember that? He started tending to pigs. And remember, what religion would he have been? Jewish. Watching pigs. Not only that, he's watching unclean animals. Eventually, he begins coveting what the unclean animals are eating. You see, it's affecting his very appetites, his value system, until finally he realized, wait a minute. And then one of the most beautiful, one of the most beautiful phrases in the entire gospel record, this is what it says. I'm in Luke 15. When he had finally come to his senses, when he had finally come to his senses, he got up, went to his father. Remember, he already had this speech in mind. See, you need to pray. That your daughter, your son, your grandkids, your husband, your wife. You need to pray that the Lord will continue to speak to them and that they will come to their senses. And that they will have the courage to get up. A friend of mine discovered this week that his son is on heroin my friend's a pastor, his son's a PK, he's on heroin. Well, wouldn't it be great if he could connect with Andy Collins, 
here in Elkhart, huh? Teen Challenge. But you want to know something? We were sitting with the guys at Teen Challenge during the lunch, and we said, do people there ever quit? Do they ever show up and say, I'm going to go into Teen Challenge? And then they start out for a few weeks, and they just, yeah, I'm out of here. I'm quitting. He goes, yeah, that happens. Because let, let me tell you how that, and this is one of the, what do they call them, residents. I almost said inmates, and one of the residents. He goes, this is how this happens. Usually the people who don't last and quit are the ones who, whose parents made them come. You see, you've got to get to the place where you realize, I've hit rock bottom. And then you've got to say, I'm going to get up and I'm going to go to Teen Challenge. See? And by the way, if they're not doing that, they haven't hit rock bottom. They're not hitting, they haven't hit rock bottom. And the worst thing that you can do is enable them. Jonah had to feel the full weight of his sin, the cost of his sin. Because eventually the, the pain gets high enough that the payoff it does, isn't worth it. You know, you get payoff. Boy, I tell you what, I'm running from God and I feel pretty good. I've got, I got payoff. Well, eventually, as soon as the, pay, the payment, the cost of that supersedes the payoff, it's decision time. But as long as the, as long as the payoff isn't as high as the payment, they won't make a decision. But you got to get to the place where finally it's not worth it, dude. It's not worth it. And so you need to pray that these two things are going to do this, see? He was running from the Lord and he knew it. And by the way, uh, when I was doing my undergraduate work at Ball State University, I'd given my heart to Christ and went to Ball State, got involved in all these, you know, I mean, wow, look at this. I'm at the you know, secular university. And I, I became the president of my pledge class, uh, Alpha Tau Omega. I went Greek. And now we're going to parties and keggers and all this, you know, all this stuff. I tell you, man, we were living in the fast lane, popular on campus. I'm dating the captain of the tennis team. She's up from Bristol, Indiana. She's going to Ball State. Pretty gal. I tell you what, everybody thought, man, look at her. And, and now he's dating her. Wow. He, boy. Deep in my heart, I knew this isn't right. All the rest of these guys would be getting drunk and going to these parties and everything. And I'm trying to, you know, trying to kind of keep in step with them and live the party life. And I, but there, there was this hollowness inside of my heart. I, I knew, I knew that this wasn't who I was. But you do it anyway. Because you want to fit in. You want to be popular. You, know, you do it anyway. Isn't that interesting? Jonah... He knew what he was doing was wrong. Does it anyway. Number two, dear diary, I slept like a baby last night, but I'm still feeling empty. Isn't it interesting? You see, what, what, what verse is that in? Yeah, look at verse five at the tail end of the verse. Jonah went below deck where he lay down and fell into a deep sleep. If you would ask Jonah, Jonah, how'd you sleep? Oh, great. Really? Really? Oh, yeah. I tell you what, I've got a piece about this. Do you hear that a lot? Remember a few years ago, there's a friend of mine, a different church, whose name was Tom. And Tom decided that he was just going to leave his wife. So Tom said, you know what? I'm going to leave my wife and I'm going to take up with, my, with somebody else. So 
some other girl, lady. I'm going to marry her. So I call him up. I think, you know what? I bet I can talk him out of it. So I, I called him up. And by the way, by, at that point, they've made their decision. You're not going to talk him out of it. I thought I would. No. And I'll never forget. I said to Tom, and this, I said, Tom, you're walking away from what you know is right. And this is what he told me. I've prayed about it, and I got a peace about it. That's, that's irrelevant. That's irrelevant. Since when does having a peace about it make it right? Jonah had a peace about it. He was sleeping like a baby. And you're going to hear this a lot. You want to know something? I've decided I'm transgender, and I got a peace about it. We do not make decisions on right and wrong based upon how we feel about it. We make decisions on right and wrong based upon what the Scripture says. See? What, what does the Bible say? Yeah, but I got a piece about it. You know what? It has nothing to do. That, that, wonderful. But you can have a piece about it, and that, can, and, that, and that can be a false sense of peace. See? And so what's going to happen? If you, will talk, if you talk to somebody who's doing this, they'll say, you know what? Oddly enough, I kind of have a piece about this. Really, then how come you're sleeping all the time? To get that peace? See, people who are not walking with the Lord or living in disobedience, they will tend to sleep a lot. Why? Because they don't have to face reality. See, I, I, I don't, I, as long as I'm unconscious, I don't have to deal with it. And they're also going to be really busy. Busy with my schedule, busy spending money, busy doing this, 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 and this. Because if, I, if I'm so busy... I, I can't allow my mind to take a rest because the Holy Spirit's going to convict the heck out of me. So I'm going to scramble, see. That's what we see him doing here. Number three. Dear diary, I know all the right answers. However, my life is not consistent with what I believe. Notice when they quiz Jonah in verse 6, the captain went to him and said, how can you sleep? Get up. Call on your God. Maybe he will take notice of us. We will not perish. So they cast lots in verse 7. Lot falls to Jonah. They tell us who's responsible in verse 8 for making this trouble. What do you do? Where do you come from? What's your country? What, what's going on? Look in verse 9. Everything he says is theologically accurate. I am a Hebrew, true or false? It's true. I worship the Lord, true or false? It's true. The God of heaven, true or false? Yes, God is in charge of heaven. The God who made the sea and the land. Isn't it interesting? If God made the sea, why are you using the sea to escape, dude? No, do you see the inconsistencies? God is sovereign. I worship the God of heaven who basically is sovereign over the over the, the sea and the heavens and the earth and the ocean and this storm and listen to what you're saying. He's sovereign over the storm. Yeah, I'm, I did it. What that's interesting is his behavior was not congruent with his belief system. One of the challenges 
as a Christian is that my theology and my biography have to mesh. My theology and my biography have to mesh. If they don't, if, if they don't intersect, if they're not, in, if they're, we just finished up pre-calc, I just finished up Friday, this, I've been teaching pre-calc for the last six weeks. And we talked about what, you know, I said to define lines, uh, lines that intersect. And they said lines that intersect are lines that are go, go different directions and cross. Partially true. <laughs> this line goes that way, this line goes that way. They're crossing, but they're not intersecting. It's got to be on the same plane. You see, my, my theology and my biography have to intersect. My belief and my behavior, they have to intersect. Better than intersect, they need to be congruent. Lord, help what I say I believe be reflected in the way I behave. The Puritans talked about knowing the truth and knowing the power of the truth. Did you hear what I just said? There is a difference, according to the Puritans, to know the truth and know the power of the truth. It's not enough to say, I'm a Christian. I know the Lord. Wonderful. Are you walking in step with what you know to be true? And that's kind of what was going on here. He could give the right answer. You, you can talk to people who are backslidden. You can talk to probably 80% of Americans. Do you believe there's a God? Yep. Do you believe, who, do you believe in Jesus? Yep. Do you believe Jesus died on the cross? Yep. Check. Their theology will be accurate. The problem is they're not living according to that. And that's what you've got on this thing. See, that's what you've got going on here. And isn't it fascinating? Watch this. Unbelievers can sniff this thing out. Unbelievers can sniff this thing out. It was this pagan ship captain. These sailors are going, what are you doing? What? 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 Where do you come from? Why? How'd this happen? What'd you do? Well... I'm a Hebrew, and I believe in God, and I'm running away from him. What's that about? It's interesting. Unbelievers can spot a phony. Last day in classes was Friday for me in this long-term assignment teaching earth science and pre-calculus. So I gave a little speech. They know I'm a pastor. And I got up in front of them. I said, Let's, I, I said, I just want you students to know. Number one. I am not here to teach subject matter. I'm here to teach kids. And number two, I care about you guys. I care about you guys because I'm a Christ follower. And now whether these last six weeks that my life has been consistent with what I say I believe, that's for you to decide. Because I said, you want to know something? High school kids can spot authenticity just like that. And they can sniff out phonies. And so one of the things I'm trying to do, and sometimes I don't do it very well, I want to live a life of consistency so when unbelievers, these students, faculty and staff, 
When they look at my life, they can say there's a difference in that person's life. The last thing I want them to say is, what? What are you doing? That's not who you are. See? Number four. Dear diary, things are going from bad to worse. Isn't it interesting? I want you to notice in these verses how the turbulence increases. Look at verse 11. It's about halfway down. Watch how the author uses words to paint a picture. The sea was getting what? Rougher and rougher. He uses the comparative form of the adjective. It was increasing in turbulence. Drop down to verse 13. Instead, the men did their best to row back, but they couldn't because the, the sea grew even what? Comparative form of the adjective. Wild, wilder, wildest to be the superlative form. This is, it's now wilder. It was rougher. Drop down to verse 15. Then they took Jonah, tossed him overboard. What is the, the modifier of the word sea? It's now raging. What he's trying to do, the, the biblical narrator is saying, watch how the turbulence intensifies. And by the way, that's a good thing. You need, that's known as God's severe mercies. Jot that phrase down. His severe mercies. God wasn't up there, Jonah, you're an idiot. You know what? I'm just, I'm just going to wail on you now, dude. I mean, I'm just going to, I'm going to punish you for what you, no, 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 no. That's not what he's doing. What he's doing, the sea, the turbulence, the waves, the wind, the storm, him getting tossed in the drink, even the fish, those weren't God up there going, boy, I tell you what, I'm ticked off now. Those were vehicles of grace. Isn't it interesting? It was the turbulent sea that became the method by which he's going to get saved. The crazy thing that he thought would be his answer, I'm going to go to the sea and escape, that became his worst nightmare. And then his worst nightmare, God turns it to become the way he gets saved. You'd almost think like somebody's in charge. God's in charge. See? Now, this is a hard prayer, but these things are necessary. Remember when I one of my very first jobs I ever had, I worked for a veterinarian. We didn't examine parrots, but we did all different kinds of stuff. And his name was Dr. Curley. And I would walk the dogs and I would help him in surgery and we'd put some dogs to sleep. And I mean, it's just it's interesting to clean out kennels, that kind of stuff. And I remember that we, you know, we we're bringing these big dogs, and you have to get the dogs up on the table. And I remember saying to Dr. Curley, do they ever bite? Yes. I said, how hard do they bite? 
They bite about as hard that the amount of pain you're inflicting on them, they'll bite until you have that same pain. See, God will increase the level of pain until you make a different decision. I'm not going to do that. Then we're probably going to have to increase the pain because you will do it. I'm not going to do it. I'm going to do what I want to do. Okay. You know, ramp up the electrical charge. See? And so what happens with Jonah when they wait, you know, he wakes up and well, they got this storm, dude. He should have said, you know what, take me back. This isn't right. Take me back to Joppa. He doesn't say that. So God increases the pain, increases level of pain, increases level of pain. And by the way, that's a hard prayer to pray. Increase the level of pain in the life of my loved one. Because you love your kids. You love your grandkids. It about kills you to watch this. You've got to allow God's severe mercies to work. By the way, there is no other way. Pain is a wonderful deterrent. Because your daughter, your son-in-law, your grandkids are going like this. It hurts when I do that. Here's a thought. Don't do that anymore. See? Eventually the pain becomes too much that they say, I think I'm going to stop that. Things are going from bad to worse. This is part of God's discipline. Look at number five, entry number five. What does Jonah tell the guys to do? Pray for me. Is that what he says? You know, let's all kneel down and pray that the storm will finish. Nope. What should we do? What should we do to you? Throw me overboard. Why would he say that? Throw me overboard into the raging sea. That's the answer. Isn't it interesting? People who are not walking with the Lord, people who are backslidden, they will tend to have self-destructive behavior. I feel like I need punished. A girl, one of the high school girls came in the other day, and of course now the, the girls are wearing skirts or dresses, little sundresses. They were wearing, you know, usually jeans. They were wearing sundresses. A girl comes in the other day into my class, and she's got cut marks all over her thigh. And so, stupidly, I say, boy, do you have a cat? No. Why would a student cut herself? That's the reason why. See? They cut themselves because I, I deserve pain. You got, you got this stuff going on, see? I... Self-destructive, babe. Don't you realize if you keep drinking, you're going to destroy your liver? Don't you know what happens to heroin addicts? Well, I tell you what, you keep 
you keep smoking and you keep, you know, doing that stuff with tobacco, man, you cancer. Self-destructive behavior, it's almost like they can't help themselves. It's one of the features. We see, that we see it in the life of Jonah. He's feeling guilty. And finally, the good news, number six. This is the good news. It finally dawns on Jonah. I can run from God, but there's certain things I can't run from. His love, his grace, and his mercy. These were evidences of the grace and mercy of the Lord. And by the way, it's going to work in this man's life. And he is going to come back, and God is going to use him even greater than he ever was used before. And I guess the word of hope I have for you this morning on Mother's Day is this. If you're sitting here today, truth be known, this is me. The best reminder you can have this morning, and you weren't signed up, signing up for this when you came to church today, but is this one right here. There is a God in heaven who so deeply cares for you and loves you that he wants to rescue. And the depth of his grace and mercy is a whole lot deeper than that ocean you're trying to escape through. Did you ever think about the fact that there was a second Jonah that one day would show up who in the midst of a storm was sleeping in the bottom of the ship? Does this ring a bell? And the people who are running the ship wake him up too. And they ask him similar questions. What are you going to do? Except the second Jonah says, peace, be still. Jesus eventually would say, and I tell you, there is one who has come who is greater than Jonah. He is the God of love, of grace, of mercy, and he can bring peace to you and to your loved ones. We keep trusting. Amen? Let me pray. Jesus, thank you that you compared yourself to Jonah on several occasions. Just like Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the belly of the earth. Just as Jonah was aboard a ship and fell asleep, Lord, you did the same thing. But the story, the narrative shifts because you are the Lord of the waves and the wind and you have the capability of bringing peace. And just as Jonah was thrown overboard, Lord, you, your life you willingly sacrificed your life that the turbulence might leave. 
But beyond wind and waves, Lord, we needed the forgiveness of sin. And we thank you this morning for that. And beloved, I'm going to give you opportunity to pray right now for that person or persons in your life. Maybe yourself. Who's not walking in step with the Lord. Remind them, Lord, speak to their hearts. Bring to their remembrance Bible stories, Sunday school lessons, verses they memorized in VBS. Don't let them go off the deep end any further. Remind them of your love. Help them to come to their senses and give them the courage to get up and come back to their Father. Thank you that you're the God of the second chance because we all so desperately need a second chance. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm going to ask if you'd please stand so we can bless one another as we depart. Uh, as a reminder, after I conclude the blessing, I'd ask you to say, and also to you, and in that way, as co-heirs in Christ, we'll bless one another. May you know Jesus, the one who has come and is greater than Jonah. May you experience your heavenly Father's love, grace, and mercy. And may the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit give you peace. Amen. You are loved. Go with grace.